Let me invite you to turn to your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12 this morning. I just recently finished up a series uh, with the youth group going through the use of our words. So they'll have to do a little bit of a double dipping here this morning, so I apologize to them. But it's good for them to hear it again. It's good for me to think about these things again. Matthew chapter 12, we'll be, uh, we'll be studying verses 33 through 37. Let's read that text together. Either make the tree good, and its fruit good, or make the tree bad, and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Let's look to the Lord in prayer before we study his word this morning. Father, what a privilege it is to sit under your word this morning. I ask for um, your spirit to speak clearly through your word. Father, would you open our eyes so that we might contemplate wondrous things from your word. Take your truth this morning, plant it deep into our hearts. Shape and fashion us in the likeness of Christ. For it's in his name that I pray. Amen. It has been estimated that the average human being utters between 10,000 and 20,000 words per day. I want you and I to consider this statistic in light of Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 19. You don't have to turn there, just, just listen to this proverb. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. In other words, when there are many words, sin is unavoidable. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent or is wise. So if the average person speaks between 10 and 20,000 words per day, then we are looking at 10 to 20,000 opportunities to sin. We all have different temperaments. Some of us talk all the time. Some of us get paid to talk. Others, we don't talk as much. But we all do this very thing. And, and I assume that it's the very thing that we do the most. As we read in our scripture uh, reading this morning, our words are, are a powerful thing. Um, James is basically, I say this tongue-in-cheek, but is basically telling me that I can control my 190-pound body with something that weighs a little less than three ounces with my tongue. Our, our words are powerful. They, they are destructive. They can wreak havoc. Right? The, the slogan, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me, is probably the furthest thing from the truth. I'm sure you can probably think in your own life, 
Um, you remember when someone gave you a word of, of building up, a, a word of love, a word of comfort, a word of encouragement. Man, you logged that in that file of good words and you held on to that. But we probably also have a different file and we remember when that person spoke to us in a word of anger, in, in a word of, of lying to us, tearing us down, gossiping about someone, slandering us, criticizing. We, we are constantly, we have two files in, in our minds, in our lives that people are constantly speaking into. Our words are a powerful thing that can do great harm. But there's something else that Jesus teaches us here this morning in, in Matthew chapter 12 in his conversation with the Pharisees that I want to look at this morning. But before I do that, I want to share a story. When I was younger, about 12 or 13, uh, there was a young woman in our church. She was probably 26 or 27. Uh, this is back in Connecticut. And her name was Taylor. Uh, Taylor was pursuing her medical degree from the Boston University School of Medicine. She's very smart, uh, very successful, and from everyone's perspective, she had graduation left and she had years of successful uh, medical career ahead of her. Well, Taylor, at a routine annual doctor's checkup, no doubt was planning to hear from her doctor, everything looks great, you look healthy, and to promise her many years of medical success. But through that checkup, the doctor found some things that were concerning, and this led to some tests, much like uh, very much scans to figure out what's going on, much like an x-ray. And it revealed a great problem. Come to find out that Taylor had cancer, and it was spreading rapidly, and it continued to do so. I share that story to say this, that on the outside, Taylor looked fine. Successful. She had many years ahead of her. But on the inside was a deadly disease, and it was spreading fast. Our passage this morning captures quite an intense conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees, but it holds in it some of the most important words ever spoken about the words that we speak. And here's the truth that I want to try to communicate to us this morning, that I think Jesus is trying to communicate to us this morning, that our words are like an x-ray, revealing the desires and ultimately the condition, the state of our heart. Our words are like an an x-ray, revealing the desires and the condition of our heart. Now, we come to Matthew chapter 12, and we are not walking expositionally through the book, starting in chapter 1, so we need to, we're dropping in here, okay, so we need to do like we always do, context is king, so we need to figure out where we are. Where are we in Matthew's gospel? Well, what Matthew is seeking to accomplish in his gospel is to communicate to his readers that Jesus is the promised Messiah from the line of David. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, the one whom the entire story of the Old Testament points to, the one whom Israel anticipated. And yet as Matthew compiles all the records and teachings of Jesus in a very strategic way in his gospel, what he does is he begins to show us and it begins to come, become clear that those who in fact claim to know their Old Testament the best were the ones who in fact rejected Jesus. And those who were considered the outcasts, the Gentiles, were the ones who received Jesus. So to bring you up to speed where we are in Matthew's gospel, 
Matthew chapter 8 through 10, he begins to um, show Jesus declaring his power and authority over sickness, over nature, over death, and even the authority to forgive sins. And at the end of that section, chapters 8 through 10, Jesus gives his disciples the power to cast out demons, to heal. And he tells them to preach the gospel of the kingdom. But what he does in chapter 10 is he says, not everybody is going to receive this message. There will be multiple responses to the gospel. And in our passage this morning, it falls into a little bit of Matthew zooming in on this response of the Pharisees. There's been a positive response to Jesus. He is the Messiah. There's been a sort of a skeptical response a response to Jesus is never neutral, okay? You're either, on him, you're either for him or you're against him, okay? So I don't want to say there's a neutral response, but his family sort of asked, is this really him? Even John the Baptist asked a chapter earlier, are you the one that we've been looking for or should we go and look for another? But is, it is these religious leaders, the Pharisees, who remain firm in their response that Jesus is not the Messiah, they continually failed to recognize Jesus as their Messiah. And it is in the midst of their response to Jesus and his miracles that Jesus responds with this teaching on words. Look um, in Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 through um, 32, the passage that immediately comes right before us. Jesus had just delivered a man from demon possession And those who witness this miracle can't help but ask. Look at verse 23. And all the people were amazed. And they said, can this be the son of David? The Pharisees, they didn't like this, doing everything they could to erase this idea. Okay, get get that out of your mind. This is not the son of David. Notice their response in verse 24. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebul or the power of Satan, the prince of demons, that this man, speaking of Jesus, casts out demons. What the Pharisees were doing in their response to Jesus, they were equating his power of Satan. And the Pharisees' sinful rejection of Jesus is what sets the table, okay, for us, for Jesus to give us his teaching on the importance of our words and what they reveal about our hearts. Because our our words, they're an x-ray. They reveal the, the, the desires and ultimately the condition of our heart. And I'm going to split up our study this morning by looking at three things or, or three truths about our words. Okay, these truths, three of them are words. First is, our words are never neutral. Our words are never neutral. Secondly, we'll, we'll, we'll see that our words reveal the desires of our heart. And then lastly, we'll see that words reveal the ultimate condition of our heart. Let's look first at this truth about our words, that they are never neutral. Look at verse 33 and 34 of Matthew chapter 12. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by fruit. Fruit of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil. So Jesus begins his words, his warning uh, here with, to the Pharisees with, with a short more that they, and a lot of us, we probably understand this too, it's about a tree. This to illustrate an obvious truth, and this is truth. 
there is a natural connection between the roots of a tree and the fruit that it produces. In other words, a tree and its fruit, they correspond. Jesus' analogy goes something like this. Good root equals good fruit. Bad root equals bad fruit. Okay, now let's say, for instance, that all of us grew up together on a farm that had one apple tree. All right, we're not going to be very successful apple farmers, harvesters, okay? But we just have one, all right? Because we want to ro- look really deeply at this tree and make sure we get it right, okay? So let's, let's say we all grew up on a, on a farm together that had one apple tree. And each, each harvest time, I don't really know when apples are ripe for the picking, okay? But it would produce shiny, red, delicious apples. Let's go with Honeycrisp because that's my favorite apple. Okay, so year after year, we see this tree bringing forth good fruit. However, one year, this tree only brought forth brown, mushy, rotten, and shriveled up apples. Now, as we all step back and try to figure out what's wrong with this tree, what's wrong with it? Well, it's the tree itself. Somewhere in the tree, whether it's under the ground, the root system, or somewhere along the side of the tree, it's dying. Those bad roots are producing bad fruits. Our response should not be, oh, the fruit's bad. We better go down to Kroger or Aldi, grab a bag of Honeycrisps, and start stapling these better apples to the tree. Right? We'd be ignoring the issue, what was going on. We'd be ignoring the problem. The roots were the problem. They were rotten, and therefore they produced rotten fruit. And the pious religious leaders, those who oppose Jesus, they cannot hide their problem. They cannot hide the fruit that they are producing, fruit of hatred, intolerance, injustice, and the like. What they did and how they spoke revealed what kind of people that they were. Notice what Jesus goes on to call these religious leaders at the beginning of verse 34. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are are evil? Jesus then moves from calling these religious Pharisees a bad tree, and he moves on to calling them a brood of vipers. Okay, if you have been reading, or if you've read through the Gospel of Matthew, this phrase comes up a couple times. John the Baptist has already used it in chapter 3 and verse 7 to refer to these religious teachers. And Jesus, later in Matthew chapter 23, verse 33, would use it again to speak of these religious leaders. This was an expression that everyone in the crowd would have understood, but we are at somewhat of a little bit of a disadvantage. Okay, so a brood of vipers. What was a viper? Well, viper was a general name for a variety of, of, of poisonous snakes common to Palestine and in the Mediterranean area. If you remember, reading through the book of Acts, a deadly viper bit Paul on the hand on the island of Malta as he reached down to, to grab some firewood, and the people were shocked because he should have died. Right? These, these vipers were very deadly. Vipers were not only deadly, but they were deceptive because most of them blend into the surrounding rocks or, or sticks. They often attack people in total surprise. And what happens is this mother viper will lay a large number of eggs, and when they hatch, they're called an offspring, or offspring of vipers, or a brood of vipers. These pillars will spread out very quickly. So when Jesus calls these Pharisees a brood of vipers, he is saying that they are the epitome of religious and moral corruption, 
and their teaching is very dangerous. They, like a brood, like an offspring of vipers, they travel from place to place in small groups, teaching and promoting their man-made traditions, that favor with God is through a keeping of the letter of the law. And Jesus says later to the Pharisees in, in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 15, he says that when they seek to convert people to Judaism, and when they do, they make their converts twice as much sons of hell as themselves. The unbiblical legions of the Pharisees poisoned the mind of those whom they were teaching against pure, redeeming, and gracious truths of God. And these religious leaders, their hypocritical, self-righteous, led to countless others leading other people into that same evil attitude against Jesus. Notice what Jesus is concluding question here. He says, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? He asked this to simply point out the fact that fallen people are full of hatred towards God. And they express that hatred through their words. Another reason he does this is to point out their inability to speak good. Notice how he phrases this question. How can you speak good when you are evil? Jesus is getting at the power, the inability of these religious people to ever speak good because deep down inside they truly are full of evil. They were evil inside, and therefore they had no capacity to speak good. And this was demonstrated in what they had been spreading about the Messiah. And Jesus' conclusion is this. You, religious Pharisees, being evil in the root, are incapable of speaking good things, of bearing good fruit, according to their nature. They would speak only things that were consistent what occupied their heart. And notice what is happening here and all that's going on. The Pharisees, with their plan to persuade people that Jesus is in business with Satan, intentionally calling evil the good thing that Jesus had just done to cast out this demon out of this man. They're saying, no, that is evil. While they're doing that, they're not recognizing the bad fruit that they are bearing by lying about Jesus to slander him. Being what they are, evil, they can only produce rotten fruit. Their words, okay, Jesus gives us a picture. There's either a good tree, there's either a bad tree. There's either good fruit or there is bad fruit. Our words are never neutral. You think you can, you got a couple gears in your car. You can put your car in forward and go forward. You can put your car in reverse. And then if you want to go get a car wash, you got to put your car in what? Neutral, right? And don't forget to do that because it's, it's not a good happening, okay? In Jesus, in discussion, and in his teaching with our words, he's communicating to us this truth, that our words are always working. They are always communicating something that is far deeper, something that, is, something that we really cannot see. And while we saw that our words are never neutral, secondly, let's see this, that our words reveal the desires of our heart. Look at the second half of Verse 34 and then verse 35. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
The good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. Now, here's sort of the center of Jesus' teaching here and probably the most familiar to us, right? Hear people say all the time, oh, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, what do we often do? Uh, what do we often connect our words to? I think if you think a little bit about it, we have the tendency to connect our mouth more with our, our mind or our brain, right? We think that our words reflect our thoughts. But, but Jesus said that the driving force behind the words that we use is not actually our intellect. Right? We might think, oh, I just said what I was thinking, Right? Oh, man, I, I don't even know what I was thinking. I just, I just said it. If we look closer at what Jesus is telling us here is that the words that we speak, they're not actually tied to our mind, our thoughts, but they're, they're tied to the very core of our being. They're tied to our heart. When Jesus spoke of the heart here in this passage, he is speaking about the very center of our existence, that place within us where our true nature can be found, the, things that, the very thing that makes us tick, our heart, in this instance, that is revealed by our words, is speaking about the center and source of our entire inner life, our thinking, our feeling, our desires, our emotions, our choices. And this is where Jesus says, our words come from. Our words They're x-rays. They reveal who we are inside. Just like an x-ray often takes what is invisible to the naked eye and makes it visible. Our words are like a projector screen. Now, that's probably a scary thought for me and, and a lot of us, right? But our hearts are basically projected on a screen for all to see when we use our words. Our words, they're like a projector screen revealing the thoughts, the intentions, and desires of our heart. When Jesus says, for out of the abundance of the heart, what does that word mean? If, if you're holding a translation in front of you that says overflow, that's, that's probably a better uh, understanding of this word. Okay? Think of, uh, if I, I, I should have done this but for lack of time and I don't want to get the carpet dirty. Uh, it's probably better that I didn't do this. Okay? But if we took a mason jar and, and we just propped it up here on a little table, and I, and I took a gallon jug. The mason jar was very small, okay? But I began to pour that, that gallon jug into the mason jar up until the point that it began to get to the brim, right? And it began to overflow. Okay, well, why, why did that water begin to overflow out of the jar? And the smart people would, I normally get this response in youth group, like, well, because you didn't stop pouring water into it. If you would have stopped, it wouldn't have overflowed. Okay, that's not the point, right? The reason that water began to overflow out of the mason jar was because that is what was in the mason jar. And so listen to Jesus when he is saying, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What is inside our heart? Often, far too more than we would like to admit, comes out when we open our mouth. And if Jesus says that the mouth speaks what is in the heart, then these religious leaders, they don't actually have a word problem. What do they have? They have a heart problem. The fruit is not the issue. The root is. 
What Jesus is communicating to these Pharisees and for us, if we step back, Jesus is telling us that our words are shaped and controlled by the thoughts and motivations of our own hearts. Now, as, as human beings who have inherited a sin nature, right, there's nothing new under the sun, right? When, when we haul off and sort of let the flap fly, Right? And someone calls us out like that, that wasn't a good response. Right? You, you shouldn't have responded that way. What's our natural bent to do? It's to blame someone else. Well, she made me so angry. Well, he always pushes my buttons. And he goes a certain way in the house. If he or she hadn't done that, then I wouldn't have responded in such terrible use of Another temptation is to blame the situation around us. Right? Well, I just didn't really have time to sit down and discuss it calm. Just let them have it. Or, man, with four kids in the house, all talking at once, soft answer really just doesn't work. Our natural inclination is to point to someone else or point to the situation that is causing our reaction. And Christ says that our words come out of the overflow of our heart. No person or action cause your sinful words, cause my sinful words, according to Jesus, they come out of our own hearts. So who is responsible for the words that you speak? It's you. Maybe you've wondered this. I've often wondered this. Man, why is there such a gap between the words that I want to say and the thing that actually ends up always coming out of my mouth? Like, what's the disconnect? Right? Why is it so difficult for me to say the right thing? Like, I want to say things that are encouraging to other people. I want to be loving. I, I want to build up others. I want to use words that are honoring to the Lord. But man, I often get upset. I get frustrated. I get jealous. Or the perfect opportunity for a burn or a joke comes. And man, I just, it, they just fly out. Why is it so much easier to gossip, to slander, to criticize someone than it is to build someone up? And in that moment, when we have wronged someone with our words, we're probably like thinking to ourselves, man, where did that come from? Like, why? I I can't figure it out. We might even say to ourselves, oh, wow, I really didn't mean to say that. And here's the reality. The words we speak don't just come from nowhere. They come from our hearts. If we are going to understand the trouble that you and I have with our words, we must begin where Jesus begins. And that is our hearts. We read this morning, um, James chapter 3 and verse 8. Our tongues are a restless evil. In Jeremiah 17, 9, gives us a little insight as to why our tongues are a restful, restless evil. It's because our hearts are deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Word problems simply reveal that you and I have a heart problem. The people in in situations around us, they do not make us say what we say. Rather, they are only occasions to actually reveal and, and let what is inside of our heart actually come out when we respond in an, unhelpful, in, an, in an unhelpful way with our words. The reason that our words are not actually neutral is because our hearts 
are not neutral. We all sin because it is inherently who we are. Our tongues are a restless evil because it is who we are. And at this, Jesus' point, we come into this world with our hearts set in, not forward, not neutral, but reverse, going the wrong way, serving our own selfish purposes, headed in the wrong God, set to selfish purposes, programmed to use our words to serve our own desires. What does James say in James chapter 4? Why are there quarrelings and fightings amongst you? It's because your desires are not being fulfilled. You, you want and you don't get, so you kill. And this is what Jesus gets at, the fact that our words actually reveal the desires of our heart. Look at verse 35. The good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. And what Jesus is doing here is he's continuing to hammer home this truth, that this one. What is inside of our hearts determines what comes out of our mouth. But he expands on it here, and he says there are really only positive or negative treasures that are built up within your heart that produce either positive or negative words. Jesus, he brings up the fact that we all produce either good or evil depending on the fact that we treasure the person out of the tree of his heart. He's using it uh, in terms of that root and the tree. Just like the heart is a place where we cannot see what is going on, so it is with, what do we do with treasure? Something that we value? Or this, this would be understood as like a simple money box. You hide it away somewhere safe where no one's going to get it. Okay? Just like our words reveal what is often unseen in our heart, Jesus says, here's where your words are coming from. They're coming from a place of your inward treasured desires. What you desire in your heart determines what comes out of it. It is what our hearts desire, what our hearts treasure, that most often our mouth speaks from, producing either good or evil. So what Jesus is saying, hey, we all have treasure. We all have desires. So we all need to stop and ask ourselves. And I often struggle with my words. It would be good for us to step back and say, what is this actually revealing about my heart? Where is my treasure? What do I think about day after day after day? Do I treasure Christ? Do I treasure myself? And if you have trouble answering these questions, let me just remind you again, look at the words that you speak. What do you constantly talk about? What comes out of your mouth when you get angry? What do you say when your teenagers are fighting in the car? Megan's not here this morning. She's watching me, so I'm going to say it in front of her anyways. What do I say when my wife's still fixing her hair at 9 o'clock and I need to get to church? It's revealing something that's going on in my heart. What about when your boss tells you that your work could be better? Does your inner attorney immediately arise and seek to defend yourself? What do you talk most about? This is going to reveal the desires of and the treasure of your heart. What do you talk most about? Is it your spouse? Is it your kids? Is it the Detroit Lions? Maybe this season, right? Is it yourself? 
And Jesus is telling us that what we talk about gives us a clear picture of what's going, in, going on in our hearts. Our words are x-rays. Because the reality is, if our words really are only ever determined by what occupies our hearts, follow me here, then we really are never acting out of character. I remember uh, my sophomore year of high school, I decided to uh, do play. Okay, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a theater guy. Um, I'm more of a sports guy. Okay, but in our small Christian school, uh, like all my friends did it. So I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll go for it. All right, so, so I didn't really understand like the nuances of how you have to, when you're a character in the play, like you have to always act like the character. And this is called, you can't break character, right? So our, our play director would constantly get on my case. He's like, you're acting like yourself. You're breaking character. And I'm like, okay. The play that we, the play that we did, I was, an, I was a character that was supposed to be in an in, uh, insane asylum. And so I thought that I had a large gash across my cheek. And so I had to have my hand up on the side of my face the entire play. And, you know, my arms started cramping. And, you know, I don't know what I do. Like, I don't know what normally is me. But apparently taking my arm down was breaking character, right? But I, I share that to say this. Why, why did I struggle to not break character in the play? I ended up getting it under control, and, and the play went great, if anybody, was, if anybody was concerned about that. But why did I struggle? Those beginning me understanding the inworkings of, of a play and not having to break character, why did I struggle to act like me and not the character with the, the, the hand over his face? Because if we really think about it, at the end of the day, it is almost impossible to act anything other than ourselves. Because the reality is, if our words are really determining what occupies who we are, our hearts, then we really never speak out of character. And in a similar way, this is Jesus' point. The words we produce, whether good or evil, they flow from the good or evil that is treasured up already in our hearts. The Pharisees, they were so blinded to their own evil agenda that was, that was fixed in their heart and their desires that they didn't even recognize the spiritual danger that Jesus was warning them of. They didn't even discern the, the demonic influence that was moving them to call the work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit a work of the devil. But what Jesus says is they were speaking words out of the abundant the abundance of the evil treasure that were in their heart. Now, I'm not suggesting anyone here this morning is committing the sin that these Pharisees were. But I do think that we would all do well to just pause and reflect on what our words are communicating about the desires of our heart. We've seen that our words are never neutral because our heart is not neutral. And what our words do is reveal the very desires of our heart. But notice with me lastly, that, and most importantly, that our words reveal the true condition of our heart. Look at verses 36 and 37. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. 
For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now, at this point, if I was standing there while Jesus was teaching to these religious leaders, those listening, they probably would have decided to kind of step, take a step back before a lightning bolt from heaven came down to, to strike these Pharisees, especially after these very pointed words that Jesus is speaking to these people. But what Jesus does is Jesus then turns his warning away from the Pharisees and he gives this truth for everyone. He gives this warning for everyone. And he says this, while the Pharisees' accusation against Jesus seemed to be be very well crafted, right? They they were ready for someone to say, is this him? And they were like, no, that's the power of the devil. But notice what Jesus says. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word that they speak. Jesus wanted those listening to him and us to know that the contents of our heart is revealed not only when we are speaking carefully, deliberative, well-thought-out words, but in our careless ones as well. And this takes matters to a whole new level. Because in my own life, I'm often speaking, I think, I'm just kind of kicked in neutral, right? And what Jesus is saying here, your words are never neutral. And I think careless here is actually a good translation. The, what it's giving us the idea is the flippant or idle or kind of off-the-cuff or shoot-from-the-hip type response. And I, our, our, probably our entire lives fall into that category, um, And this really causes me to stop and think because of how much time our verbal sins are probably located in this category of mundane or careless words. These careless words are, are, they're probably the instance where we should have just kept our mouth shut. I think we could probably all uh, think of a time where we should like, yeah, that, if I just kept my mouth shut, things would have went a lot better and I wouldn't be in the situation that I am right now. But these idea of us giving an account for every careless word. These are times when we let our guard down. When we're shooting from the hip. They could be words we just spout off when we lose our patience. Or words we use when we just kind of give our opinion on a matter without giving much thought to it. They can be crude, angry, or frustrated, or insulting words. Or can that we can say over an issue that we feel really strongly about, either publicly or privately, through social media, or in conversation with someone. No matter the platform that you and I speak on, no matter the scenario we speak into, Jesus is pointing to the fact that every single word matters, whether it's emailed, texted, spoken. From the careless words to the most important words, from bitter words that reveal a bitter heart to the discontented words that reveal a heart of discontentment, from the snarky words that reveal a prideful and arrogant heart to the critical words that say, yeah, I could have done that better, from the flattery words that are filled with deception to a gossiping word that actually reveals that the love of Jesus might not seem to have taken place yet. Every word that we speak is an x-ray. Our talk tells what truly rules 
our hearts. Whatever rules our hearts, whatever holds our hearts' desires is what shapes our words. Notice how Jesus closes in verse 37. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Jesus is saying here that by our words we will either be justified or condemned. Now we need to pause here because we have a little problem with the writing of Paul. He tells us that our justification or our condemnation hinges on the fact of whether we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. The moment that God declares any sinner to be righteous is only on the basis of his faith, not by what words that he speaks. But what Jesus says here, for by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned, he's saying that one day all of our words will be called to witness to either stand for us or against us. Let me stress again, we are not saved or condemned by our good works, by our good deeds, by our good words, but salvation or condemnation is made manifest by our very words or deeds. In other words, our words are an objective, observable evidence of our heart's spiritual condition. This is why our words reveal the very condition of our hearts. Our words reflecting the true essence of who we are, revealing our heart, revealing our thoughts, revealing our desires, they will provide irrefutable evidence on judgment day. In the day of judgment, when the Lord evaluates who belongs in his kingdom and who doesn't, the criteria will in fact include the speech of you and the speech of me. The consistent teaching of the Old Testament, I want to be clear here, that's why I keep coming back to this. The consistent teaching of the Old Testament and the New Testament is that the only way of salvation is by God's grace through man's faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Jesus' point is not that the words are the very grounds or the basis of our salvation. We don't receive God's favor because we spoke the right words. We don't receive God's condemnation because we spoke the wrong words. But our words, they are a reliable evidence of the reality of our salvation. And Jesus is saying this, Even words carelessly spoken are of eternal importance. Why? Because they reveal our hearts, and it is based on our heart, whether we have received or rejected Jesus, that we will be justified or condemned. The words that you and I use over the entire course of our life either confirm or deny whether our hearts have been truly transformed by the grace of God. Our words... They reveal the condition of our heart, telling us if we truly are God's child or not. Will your words, will my words give proof to a heart that is changed by Christ? And as followers of his, the speech of a child of God will be different. And here's why. Because it comes from a heart that has been set free from treasuring evil and continuing to be transformed by the grace of God. Your words and my words, they're like an x-ray. 
revealing the desires and ultimately the true condition of our hearts. Now, I'm not sure this morning what your words have been revealing about you lately. I do not know that, excuse me, what I do know that is, is that without Jesus Christ, there is no hope for our struggle against our word battle. I do know that. That, that, is, that is true. And the reason is this. Because without Jesus, there is no hope for our heart problem. We do not come to Jesus so that he can fix our words and he can fix our mouth. It is much deeper and it's much grander than that. But what Jesus doesn't do here when these Pharisees speak wrongly is he doesn't give them a link to wordfix.com. Okay? Jesus is not teaching a seminar on seven steps to successful speech. What does he do? Jesus was revealing the heart of these lost religious leaders, and he was preaching to it. And he's preaching to ours too. The reason that you and I struggle with our words is because our words, the words, their very source is enslaved to sin. Jesus Christ is the only way that you and I can receive the forgiveness of sins in a new heart that produces good words that build one another up, that edify one another. So if you're here this morning and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, do not hear me saying, come to Jesus just so that you can speak the right words at the right time. Hear the truth of what Jesus is getting at. Our words and the problem that we have with them is revealing the very core condition of how you and I come into this world, and that is with a heart problem. You and I come into this world, and our heart is set against God. And that is because, and, and, and it is from that very heart that is set against God that our words flow. And it is only through the perfect life, death, and resurrection that we can find forgiveness for all of the wrong ways we have used our words and to begin to be transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ to use our words that build one another up. How about for those of us who have responded to Jesus? We have turned from our life of sin and we have per- put our personal trust in Jesus Christ as our only hope in life and death. Ungodly words often arise out of our hearts, don't they? This is not because we are unable to produce godly words, but this is because all too often we fail to go to war against the evil treasures that so easily fill up our hearts. Believer here this morning, let me encourage you. Look to the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is there where your battle with words has already been won. It is through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, his defeat of sin once and for all, that you and the glory of the gospel and say, I'm going to use my words for the glory of God because it is who I am. He defeated the curse of sin that enslaves our very hearts from the moment David says, from the moment, Psalm 51.4, from the moment that my mother conceived me, I was enslaved to sin. But it's through the life and death 
and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that our hearts might be set free to use our words in a way that glorifies God, that displays the power and selflessness of Jesus Christ, and this all to the praise of the glory of God. Our hearts, excuse me, our words, they're like an x-ray, revealing the desires, revealing the condition of our hearts. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, now we're asking you to set a guard, O Lord, over our mouths. Give us the strength to keep watch over the door of our lips. In Christ's name I pray.